Live from the Selenite Palace, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Wow, this is um interesting. We're not even on Earth, it looks like. Yeah, it looks like that looks like Earth out that window there. This is interesting. We're uh, an unusual place. I mean, we've been through some crazy caverns with giant mushrooms. Oh, and yeah, and weird looking aliens, I guess. Uh, yes, or moon people. I'm not yeah. sure what these guys are. Have you tried hitting uh, insectoid? Them? Well, you know, I've heard a commotion and I saw a lot, a lot of smoke outside. Was it by those older men, those professor-looking guys? Yeah, like they look like they're—I uh, don't know—not from our time period, anyway. No. I, I have no idea where we are or when we are, for that matter. Or when we are, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome everyone to Drill Train of Thought, episode one thirty-three. I am Nick Hayden, and I am Tim Thedeal. And how are you, and Tim? It is fall as of this recording. Back home, yes, it is. Uh, it is cooling down. Summer is fading fast. The fields are browning. I guess the leaves aren't quite there, but some of them are. Some of the trees yeah. are already turning. But, but yeah, no, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. How about you? Are you? Uh, you're about a month into your school year. Yeah, actually, more than yeah, over a month. Yeah, going pretty well. It's a, it's been a pretty solid year so far. I feel pretty comfortable with it. Apple Festival will be here before you Coming know. Coming pretty quick. Up. Oh, yep. That's a big deal. Parent for teacher your conferences church. right before you know midway through the first trimester is coming up, and yeah, it's been been going pretty well. Uh, soccer season just ended for Fio. Is Natasha relieved? I know your wife was coaching soccer. Yeah, I, she's relieved that it's over. I mean. It ended kind of abruptly. The last game got canceled, so she's like, but there's no closure. Oh, so no. We'll see how that will go. She wins by forfeit. <laughs> or- yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, yeah, so that things are just keep moving along right now. Cool, cool, Mercy's cool. home, reading chapter books. Wow. Um, well, because it's first grade, and they're supposed to read so much, but her reading level's high, so she has these little chapter book things, like 50-page sort of thing. Yesterday, she's just, she's like, I gotta get this done. She's just blowing through it. I mean, not blowing, but... That's impressive. It, it's, it's impressive to me. She'll say all these words, and she has trouble and whatever, but it's... Yeah. The fact that a person can learn to read is an amazing thing. It, it is. I'm trying to remember when I first started reading chapter books. I don't know that I was six. I don't think most of the people in our class are doing that. Okay. At this point. Well, and again, chapter books, we're talking like 50 pages. They're like three pages. And I mean, it's like... Oh, okay. I mean, they're a little more than, say, like a, like a frog and toad. I mean... Okay. Are we talking like Nate the Great level? Or, or uh, are we talking more like boxcar children? No, not boxcar children. No, no, no. Okay. No, no more okay. Nate the Great. Okay. It's, or like, like Dr. Sue. Like, they're longer books. Okay. With like sections. Oh, interesting. So like, there's that middle range between... So okay. when I say chapter book, it just means that they're not just like... 10-page stories. They're literal chapters, but like two-page, two, three-page chapters. She just finished one about a mole and a shrew. It was kind of like a frog and toad sort of deal. Okay. Okay. That's a little different. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I might've been doing that at six. So Uh, anyway, more than, more than audience wanted to know. But I mean, Hey, books. It's cool. It's, it's within our wheelhouse. Exactly. That's true. I guess we'll just get on into. Get on with it. (laughs) Story school. Today's Story School is partly as a tie-in to our new podcast coming out, 
Very I, soon, actually. Well, yeah, because this is a September episode yeah, of Dear so Ultra, September 2022. About two weeks after this comes out? That's right. October 7th is oh, the, one week the date. Then. Yes, one week, about a week from when this will come out-ish. October 7th. And then following on every Friday for uh, 10 weeks, it's a 10-episode season of Let's Finally Watch This, a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. We've always meant to watch classic movies. We've had a movie club once upon a time, mm-hmm. um, and we thought it'd be a good excuse to get together and watch stuff and to record and hopefully encourage or discourage, depending on the movie, you to watch things as well. Yeah, the idea is to give our listeners a taste of each movie that's, uh, that we watch so that you can s- decide for yourself if it's your cup of tea or not. And we're, we're focusing a lot on film history on the sense that we're moving through time with it, and which is, brings us to our story school, which is we want to talk about today, how important is it to understand the time period, the culture, the setting in which a book or movie was created? Because if it's not new, it existed in a specific time, specific place. But classic movies, classic books, we read all the time without doing a deep history dive into Victorian England or Stalinist Russia or whatever it's coming from. Yeah. So we just want to kind of examine how much does that impact or not impact understanding, appreciating a story. Yeah, I think there's an interesting paradox here in that oftentimes the historical setting matters in one sense. But it doesn't matter in another sense. Especially with the with the greatest or the, the most, what we call classic, the ones that are the most popular. Obviously, we read stuff all the time from 100 years, 200 years back or another culture. And I think at least the part that doesn't matter is the fact that people act the same or at least have same sort of hopes and dreams or sort of emotional responses throughout history. Humans aren't different humans. Yeah, there is nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. So I think that's a large part why they're classics, because some French novel might still say something about being human or some Icelandic saga or some Babylonian epic about Gilgamesh. Have you read a Babylonian epic about Gilgamesh? I read a, a book of myths, some, so I probably I don't know if I've read the original original. Oh, okay. But, but I have read that Icelandic saga we talked about that one time. Sure, so. sure. But I think it is interesting to analyze what are we missing or what, what do we gain from studying it, from figuring it out. From having the context. From having the context. Talked about. So let's take an example. Okay. We have a test episode of um, our other podcast. Let's finally watch this, which what, is out now, so you can listen in on our test episode. Please do. See if you're going to like this show. You will. Um, <laughs> a Trip to the Moon. From 1902. Is the movie we talk about in our test episode, in case I wasn't clear. I really, Having editing, let's finally watch this, I'm editing ourselves a lot more frequently and realize how much, sometimes I skip over words or something, and you completely follow along because like we've done we, this We've done so this long. a long time. But like I'm every now and then I'm aware, like our listeners, I hope they're able to follow us <laughs> as well, because every now and then I completely like bumble over something and you can make the connection from A to B, but yeah. I, I don't know that a complete stranger would. Well, so see, I apologize if we do that sometimes. You get to the level of Zach and I where we don't even have to say the words and we understand what's going on. <laughs> but in any case, that movie's 120 years old. 1902 it, is it when it came out. If you've not seen it, it's a trip to the moon. It's a black and white silent film. It's about 15 minutes. These astronomers get to go to the moon. It's the one where their capsule, their, they get shot to the moon out of a cannon, essentially. Yeah. They, they get put in this big bullet of sorts. Basically. And the bullet lands in the eye of the moon. You've probably seen at least the image of that if you haven't seen anything else from the movie. But you can enjoy it or not, I guess, depending, just watching it. But then does it help? To know more about it, does it make it more enjoyable? I mean, and this is just a test case, and then we might be able to expand it out. 
Well, I think you could certainly watch it and kind of sh- uh, scratch your head and be like, what was that all about? I think the historical context does help a lot in knowing what a uh, revolutionary movie it was, who the filmmaker behind it was, and what his background, and the fact that he used to be a magician explains he, a lot of it. And he, he created a lot of these things that were like, fine, but it was a big deal back then. Yeah, a lot of really innovative filmmaking techniques, things that we take for granted now that he was coming up with. That lends itself to, I guess, a related question that I'm interested in, which is this. It seems to me like if you look at the Penguin Classics, there's like 5,000 Penguin Classics. Which are those little books? Those, well, just cl- I mean, their whole library. Okay, Penguin is a publishing company. Public company. They just collect, they publish things that they consider classics or like Criterion Collection. Okay, which is um, the same thing with movies. movies. How many of these things we call classics are classics because they're great? And how many are classics because they accomplish something new in the historical setting? Hmm. And therefore they become a building block for movies and stories yeah. that take place after yeah. the fact. That's an interesting question. I mean, I think there are stories that fall into both categories. Yes. Probably A Trip to the Moon is, I mean, I think it's fascinating to watch in and of itself because it's kind of a surreal dreamlike experience. But there's probably a reason why that film is more known than some of the George Melies, that filmmaker who made it, some of his other movies that have a similar vibe. Mm-hmm. Because those are also... Well, also there. <laughs> a Trip to the Moon is the like seminal one. And the then, quintessential version of what he was trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. And he may have made ones after that he liked more, but that's the one that everyone remembered. And I imagine that there are some of these other movies that are remembered just because either the first or the first most successful. Another one I was just thinking of was The Jazz Singer, okay. which was one of the first successful movies with sound. Not the very first one, but the ver- one of the first major big blockbuster. Yeah. I don't know if it was a blockbuster, but major successful movies. Now you've seen that, correct? Yeah, and it's I've talked about it way back. Actually, it might have been in our very first was, episode. I knew it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I think it was maybe the first episode. But um, and I, I was like, it's okay of a story. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a story of like going into mainstream pop music essentially with your ultra conservative family being not sure why what you're doing with your life okay so like footloose yeah kind of <laughs> yeah which is kind of our 80s version of it version of it i mean yeah again and i don't think it was an original story in and of its day but because of this is the one with sound and it was super successful so that's why it's remembered so yeah that is a category i think and then you've got your other books that are just amazing works of literature or amazing movies in of their own rights. Now, do you think this might be semantics? They should both be considered. I mean, to me, the ones that are just great works of art seem like they're in a different category of classic than building block hmm. or a different flavor. I don't know. Be like you go watch something that you that's a building block. I feel like you need more historical context yeah. to help you appreciate it. I think that's true. I mean, I I guess I should also clarify. I imagine there's probably more of these. I mean, we just mentioned two that were more building block than standalone stories, but probably more often, maybe actually some of them do overlap because the ones that are trying something new, hopefully will have an interesting story to go along with it. That's, that's not true. just a technical marvel. 
But I guess if you want, you could come up with some terminology to differentiate them more. <laughs> It'd be interesting. For instance, I way back when I read The Moonstone. Have you ever heard of The Moonstone? I have not. By Wilkie Collins, who okay. was a contemporary and a friend of Charles Dickens. Okay. And it's considered one of the first best and longest mysteries ever written. Hmm. It's like 400 pages. Wow. And I remember liking it when I had to read it, I don't know, high school at some point. But it's one of those classics that I feel like it is good, but it's also known because it's an early mystery. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it would have been lost if it came later. There's a lot of good books that like, hey, you read, you love it, but then 10 years later, you forget. Yeah. And so what is the, what's the, I mean, it seems like if you're the first one to do it, you have a better chance of sticking around. Right, right. Or you're the first one to do it well, I guess. Mm-hmm. I remember some people saying that Edgar Allan Poe had a detective character that some people consider kind of a forerunner to Sherlock Holmes. Okay. But Sherlock Holmes is way more well-known. Yeah. I think the most famous one of these stories is the Purloin Letter. That's the one I've read. Yeah. Okay. And I don't actually know if there's more stories of that character. It seems like there would have been, but that's the one everyone knows. That's the one everyone knows. And I maybe just because it's the, the best version of the mystery he managed. Yeah, I know. it could be. I mean, otherwise, Edgar Allan Poe is more known for the psychological... Horror kind of of stuff. So maybe it's just because the other things overshadowed it for him. So give me an example of a movie or a book you think that grew in appreciation, even if you already liked it, because you found out more about it. Hmm. Or even one that you didn't appreciate it until you found out more about it. Okay, this is a strange example because I, I kind of knew history about it before I saw the movie. But The Dark Crystal. Okay, okay, yep. That's that's a movie that I appreciate in some ways more for the technical prowess than the actual storytelling. I can understand that. Some of the characters are a little flat in The Dark Crystal. The Netflix series has fixed a lot of the character aspect. Yes, yeah, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of Dark Crystal. I've... I find it like simultaneously a haunting yet tedious movie, which is a very strange combination. But it's true. Yeah. It's like (laughs) the world is fascinating. The music is haunting. Some of the characters are just kind of bland, which is a strange thing to have with when you have those other two things are so strong. And it's like a world and talent in search of a plot. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> very much so, because they literally made the world of the movie before they wrote the script. So they're like, all right, we've got this world. What kind of story do you want to tell in it? So I guess that's a, kind of a backwards thing. I'm trying to think of another one where that is more like the way you described. If you have something. Go well, back. I was going to say, I feel like because our, um, our friend Nathan's podcast, The Monster Island Film Fault, uh-huh. digs a lot into the history of these kaiju movies. Sure. And sometimes... There are movies that I might just watch, like, oh, it's a giant monster doing stuff. Yeah. But sometimes doing context, I'm like, okay, I can see if you talk about where this takes place in history and everything, I can see why you can pull more out of this than giant butterfly beating stuff up. Now, your miles will vary. It's still a kaiju movie, and whether you like those or not is going to yeah <laughs> go to matter. But I, yeah. I think, at least for me, it gives me a different element in which to think about it I yeah. guess. I do think it's interesting the the scholarly stuff Nathan and his compatriots are able to pull out of those things it's never fully invested me enough to actually become a kaiju fan yeah. though so <laughs> yeah mileage will vary but I, I think that's a good example I think we're getting to the point now where there's video games that people realize are classics but like they're no fun to play anymore <laughs> because the quality of life stuff quality of life has changed enough with, with like what we expect for our video games not like it used to be that 
you would toil through all these really hard games just like, well, hey, this is the way it, it is. Now you, you come back to it's like, why is this this difficult? I, sh- I I want to be having a good time with this, not like beating my head against the wall. I, I kind of came this way, like the same way you came to Dark Crystal, to things like Colossal Cave or Zork, which are um, early interactive fiction games. Okay. Like, oh, they were known for this, and this is why this code comes from that everyone uses now. Not Swordfish, but something else. Um, <laughs> so I would try to play them, but didn't quite have the patience to get very far in them. Uh-huh. So it's one of those, like, it's a classic because it's important and necessary, but not always as enjoyable unless you're deep into that genre already. Yeah, that's true. I think that's, you could say that with a lot of video games, not just... Are those point and click or are those? Those are just type. Those are just you type oh, in. Oh, purely like, text based. Like go east. Yeah, Colossal Cave. I think is the first major one. It's basically like kind of Mammoth Cave, but like as some fanciful stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a really good explanation. And again, some people get into that even despite the sometimes the the retroness of it is almost like a challenge to be able to rock yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I that's what I appreciate with some of those old ones, too. If I had more time, like, I'd beat Zork, but it's brutal. Like, you just die. And, uh-huh. Yeah. But I think that's also, like, English teachers have this balance, I think. Like, we should teach this thing that's important to Western literature, but also we got to pick one that the kids won't die reading. <laughs> they, they'll have something to attach onto the, mm-hmm. to understand. Yeah, it is a tricky balance because we want to have a connection to the past. I mean, it's, there's a cliche saying at this point, his, uh, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And we can learn a lot from the stories of the past, um, not just the actual histories and all that stuff, but... Just how people acted, what they had to use to go through, yeah. the sort of things they overcame. I mean, Christians and pastors do this with the Bible all the time. Mm-hmm. We're constantly trying to understand what is the heart of a passage or what was the culture... Uh, why did Paul tell this church this thing and this other church is something slightly different? We're always looking to understand that those things more, and also to help the Bible carriers not just feel like like images in a stained glass window yeah. or on a page, but like living, breathing. These are real human beings. Yeah, there's a there's a okay fancy uh, twenty dollar word. So there's a hermeneutic, a way of studying the Bible. People have different like frames in which they study the Bible. Okay, there's one called the grammatical historical method. Which is basically the first thing you do is figure out what's as much as you can, what's it mean to the people it was written to in their time period, and then find ways to bring it to the modern age. To the 21st century. And I think that tends to be the more conservative way of looking at the Bible passages for pastors and stuff. And I think sometimes there can be a lot of benefit to going to a movie that way, saying, here's what it meant to the, the audience, the audience back it. then. And then obviously we can modernize, uh, modernize it. it. Meanwhile, I guess how we often watch movies and books is if we're going to use the Bible simile or analogy, is almost devotionally. Just how does it apply to me Hmm. just Mm -hmm. in the moment? And I think there's a lot to be said about that, too. I mean, that's the natural way we attack things. Most things we're not going to watch. I'm watching Sound of Music, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You're not necessarily, you can just enjoy the music and the everything. You're not going to be like, well, I need to know why they made this movie and how much money it was making and um, it's commentary in World War Two, and <laughs> from the perspective of 1957, yeah, or exactly. Came Which out. Yeah. you don't need. You just like you're just saying I'm responding to the the people and the situations I'm giving. I'm I'm being given, mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy if it's a Western film or if it's a in the last 70 years. 
Yeah. The more cultural distance or chronological distance we get, it can get harder. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily always put that that barrier up. I mean, Treasure Island is a story from the yeah. 1800s, a novel that was published in the 1800s that's about that takes place in the 1700s. Yeah. But I think it is a really readable, enjoyable book even today. When I guess if you get by the language, the plots of Shakespeare are still very easily enjoyable because they're very human. And that's true. Now, the language is the problem. The language is the problem. It's the barrier, the, yeah. the like, what are they talking about? <laughs> but if you have a really good adaptation of it, yeah, these are, they touch on themes and ideas that still are sorts of struggles that we re- we deal with today. I mean, all the King Arthur stuff, no one lives with with horses and knights anymore, but we still resonate with that. You know, even Greek myths, mm-hmm. there's a lot of resonate, you know, a lot of... And it's interesting to think about how some of these old stories still affect our subconscious in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like, even though we live in a republic that we like democracy... Yeah. Our fantasy stories are still full of kings and queens mm-hmm. and royalty and monarchs and all this stuff, even though I don't think we aspire to that anymore for good reason. But there's something quintessential like, I don't know, because it's baked into our our history as a human race. Yeah. All these stories that come that have the, these and, things. I don't think I think and I think we all kind of culturally, socially know that having a good king or a good leader is a great thing. Sure, sure. And a bad one's horrible. <laughs> right, right. And so those things come up all the time that like, oh, the good king died, the bad son took over, or uh-huh. vice versa. It, it still resonates. with, And maybe just because we have this cultural self or cultural zeitgeist, or yeah. we know the stories, the fairy tales are so deeply entrenched in us, mm-hmm. it feels like... It's a part of how the world works, even though it's not how our modern world works. You know, that's interesting. Classics in some way do not just report from the past, but they in many ways shape the future. Yeah, and that's I think, true. And what's interesting then is that a lot of the, especially the classics that are the, the most beloved, if you study them, a lot of times they were influenced by these classics that no one's heard of anymore. <laughs> sure, yeah. So it's like these threads throughout history of like the big ideas just keep being re- Every generation or a couple of generations say, we need to find a way to capture that same idea again. A new. A yeah. new. Well, it's like Indiana Jones. I know it's been said George Lucas patterned those out of adventure serials from like the 30s and 40s. I've never seen any of those. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to check them out sometime, but like, I don't know what they are. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure where to look. I mean, so, but, like, but I know about Indiana Jones. I mean, is that like the era of Tintin? Well, I guess. That would be serials. That'd be comics. That'd be comics. So yeah, I guess that counts. Even the Uncle Scrooge comics yeah. were an inspiration for Indiana Jones. But I know that there was also some movies that that, okay. that. But I don't know. Those are the ones I'm not as familiar with. I guess that's. I mean, that's an example. In some ways, say with Indiana Jones, he took this element of adventure and whatever that was stuck in 1930s trappings, mm-hmm. and he took what was the most essential about it and modernized it for 80s. And probably at some point, we're going to need. I mean, there probably are, but I grew up with Indiana Jones. Yeah. But, you know, the new definitive version of the action movie. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting point. Do you mean like an adventure movie? Or adventure movie, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean an like, adventure movie. Okay, it was like, wait. <laughs> People are still copying Indiana Jones, but at some point, yeah. they'll get catch the spirit of Indiana Jones, but it'll be in something that... I mean, this happens, I think, with, uh, say, Westerns. Westerns were the genre, the genre for a certain type of story. Uh-huh. And then it's not anymore, but that type of story has got to 
show re- up again, reemerge. Fa- yeah. yeah, I mean, right now we're in the superhero age of of movies yeah. in a lot of ways, and as much as I enjoy it, I do anticipate that at some point it will fade away and another genre will take its place as a preeminent one. Yeah. But I imagine there'll be some core of that that will be reinvented yeah. down the road. And I think the superhero movies capture some cores from older stuff, or at least the best of them. Yeah. I don't doubt that. I mean, each superhero, each Marvel movie, they, they tend to like try to have a little different flavor for yeah. them. Some of them are the more spy-ish ones. Yeah. Some are more outer space. So... So they, borrow from, they borrow from genres too. So it just yeah. So it's interesting. Classics seem to basically try to catch something, the best ones I think, catch something about human nature, or human longing, or human culture, and and encapsulate it in this form that especially lasts in its time period, but that can last far beyond it. Hmm. At least the longest lasting classics. Yeah, and some stories will have more cultural time barriers, historical mm-hmm. barriers, than other ones will. Yeah. But it, it doesn't mean that they're the ones that are more difficult that have more barriers may still have have interesting things to say. Yes, that's completely true. That sometimes you need to just get over the. When I've said this before in the podcast, but reading Russian novels is a barrier because the culture is just different, just mm. different enough to be like, wait a second, what's it's just their their mode of writing and the amount of characters. But once you get past that, it's completely worth it. At least it was for me. So yeah, I think then what we what we have is this idea that sometimes classics become you say classic like oh that old thing <laughs> or like oh everyone knows that and everyone's trying to make modern classics and the problem with modern classics sometimes not that they're not good not that they're not artistic but they do they last for a little a season uh-huh. you know and then then they're gone like it's amazing the sort of things that my um, middle school class considers classic like oh Hunger Games yeah that's because it's older than they are. Basically, anything older than they are that they've heard about is a classic. Oh, dear. Um, oh, dear. Yeah. Which mo- most of them are not in any sense that I would consider classics, uh-huh. but it's not necessarily from their point of view if they've heard about it and it's older than they are. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, it seems like a very middle school thing. Yeah. Like, the yeah. Per- way of perception. I think by the time you get into high school, you, your horizons expand a little bit. It's kind of weird. I feel like the older you you get, the more that your horizons and understandings of the past expand. Yes, where, I think. Where suddenly, like, something that took place 10 years ago is not nearly as long ago as it was when you were 15. So I think exploring classics can be a really good way of just, you know, with that expanding sense of time, it can be a really good way to touch base like, oh, this is something that was true back then. It informed something that I didn't, came from a culture that had different ideas, and maybe we'll show blind, you know, Reveal a blind spot, or but I do think, like you said, or we've said, that knowing the context can help us get more riches out of some of these harder to process things. I concur. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might want to check out episode 33, where we talked about timelessness and stories. So there may be some repeats in here, but that episode was, if you believe it, Nick, 10 years ago. Just a blink of eye ago, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Actually, this, uh, this episode, our, uh, 133. Wow, this is weird. I just realized that was... Oh, we're it's our centennial since that. <laughs> but uh, this month does mark our 12th anniversary of this podcast, nice. Nick. A dozen. A dozen. A dozen years. Well, we made it a dozen, so congratulations. Yes, you too. <laughs> nah, day over 12. <laughs> Anyways, with that, we'll go to our first soundtrack. All right. Well, so we were talking about just classics and things that kind of were quintessential marking points 
And I grew up playing a lot of these point-and-click adventure games. And one of the most famous series, and ones that probably did a lot for point-and-click games in general, were Sierra games in general, but especially the King's Quest series. So I picked a song from King's Quest V, which was evil. Just for people, for those young whippersnappers. Oh yeah, there's who, a lot of those out there. Yeah, who, who don't know, what is a point-and-click adventure game? A point-and-click adventure game is 16-bit graphics or on, whatever. On a PC, a computer. Yeah, computer, pixelated graphics. And you have a character, in this case it would be Prince, I'll try to forget his name, but it's the king, someone. But you would, with your mouse, you'd have your mouse point, and you would click on different things, and it would be like, you click on the tree, and it would be like, there's nothing you can do with that tree. And you click on the hole, and like, you reach in, and you it found a gold chain, and it would go into your inventory. And then later on, you'd be like, put gold chain on this statue, and you put it on the statue, and it would. But it's until about number six of this, it was all just written words. Like, they didn't talk to you. Later on, they recorded uh, so okay. it would read the things. But it was very, basically it was a lot of mystery. Like you'd figure out, oh, I found this this item. Where can this item be used? And so it was a lot of fun, puzzling sort of stuff. A lot of collecting random stuff and seeing how to, it would interact with other stuff. And, and Seer games <laughs> in general, but especially King's Quest. There was a lot of good humor, a lot of good adventure. Uh, okay. uh, Space Quest was very funny. There's some other ones. Heroes Quest, they were all something quest back then. Yeah. All yeah, by the yeah. same company. King's Quest V was evil because there's so many ways to die, and someone would make the game unwinnable. Ew. That one was hard. I never beat that one. Um, but anyways, this is called A Willow That Weeps, remixed by Danimal Cannon. This is actually from Dwelling of Duels and not OC Remix this week. Um, but a nice um, sort of contemplative song. Enjoy.
And we're back. That was very chill. It's very chill. So uh, next we'll go to Once Upon a Sentence. Okay, Nick, I, uh, I have to make an apology here because uh, last time when I was hosting, you said you didn't have anyone who had guessed your July sentence. Yes, from um, um, There Will Come Soft Rains from The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. But I was wrong. We actually had a uh, an email. I forgot to check our email before we recorded. Shame on me. I did this time. But we had an email from Nathan at the Monster Island Film Vault who gave us the correct answer. So, nice. And he should know it. He loves Bradbury. Yeah, so, so there you go. Congratulations. Good job, Nathan. Here are your kudos. Yay! Yay! Uh, go check out the Monster Island Film Vault as well as all the other. I think from there you can find out all these other podcasts that Nathan does on uh, things from Japanese pop culture that aren't anime. Yes. <laughs> Correct. As for last month's episode, the one where I gave this sentence, if we was prisoners, it would, because then we'd have as many years as we wanted and no hurry. And we wouldn't get but a few minutes to dig every day while they was changing watches. And so our hands wouldn't get blistered, and we could keep it up right along, year in and year out, and do it right, and the way it ought to be done. That sentence is from the book, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, by Mark Twain. Nice. So no one got that one that we know of. Well, I did remember, actually. Janelle did ask me, was that from Tom Sawyer? And I was like, well, it wasn't from the book, but you're close. And she's like, Huckleberry Finn. And he's like, yeah, it's from Huckleberry Finn. It's, it's Tom Sawyer. In Huckleberry Finn. In Huckleberry Finn, given that line. It sounds very Tom Sawyer. It, it really does. He's, uh, <laughs> I think it's a hilarious passage where they're trying to rescue a runaway slave who's been uh, chained in a, in a shed. But Tom has all these ridiculous ideas from the books he's read about the proper way to do a prison escape. And I, I just find it hilarious. What's interesting, uh, Theo, my son, just read... Tom Sawyer and loved it. Oh, nice. He started Huck Finn. He didn't like it as much. So Huck Finn starts a bit rougher. I told him it's a, it's a denser. um, I mean, not that it's not a venture, but Tom Sawyer is a different flavor than Huck Finn. The, yeah, it's, it starts darker, but, and the funny stuff doesn't come until, well, Tom shows up in the last third of the book. So, (laughs) so now that he read those, I'm like, I need to read those again. It's been ages since I've read any of those. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, but anyway, here's our new Once Upon a Sentence. Hopefully this will give someone some idea from context, but here we go. But when dawn broke and day crept in, over each empty, blood-spattered bench, the floor of the mead hall where they had feasted would be slick with slaughter. Wow, now there's a dark sentence for you. Okay, uh, can you give that to us again? One more time. But when dawn broke and day crept in, over each empty, blood-spattered bench, the floor of the mead hall where they had feasted would be slick with slaughter. Slick with slaughter. Yes. Good job. So you had a little um, poetic alliteration there. Mm. So That might be a little bit of a hint. Yes. There you go. Okay. Uh, what is that from? Um, I'm the Stranger. The... <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta I, was a- I wasn't asking you. I was asking okay, the audience. Fine. fine. It's from The Life and Death of Ivan Illovich. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Stop giving them fake answers. You're okay. going to confuse them. Okay. It is not from any of those. You tell us where it's from, dear sirs and ma'ams. <laughs> and we will give you a shout out because we are poor. We don't have anything else to give. <laughs> All right. Um, now we are moving on to challenge accepted. 
right, Tim, this is your idea. I just figured it's been a while since we did Challenge Accepted. And so what I've done, I've did some Googling and I found a variety of quizzes from around the web, basically asking the question, which came first? The chicken or the egg? Well, except for that one. That's good. old school. But I, I was reminded there's this game called Timeline. It's just a good game. Yeah. It's a fun game. You got these cards that each have like a historic event and you take turns adding them. You put them in a row according to uh, the how they took place in history. We can't play that on the podcast. That'd be complicated. But I can go through some of these quizzes that talk about various stories and when they came first. All right. Let's see. My historical knowledge is better now than it used to be. Yes. So anything I will, in the 70s, I don't know. <laughs> I will give you a, a choice for which quiz you want first. Would you want one on TV shows, movies, books, whether a book or a movie came first, or words? Words? Yes. Which, okay, that's not strictly story-based, but as a writer, I figured you'd appreciate um, it. I should save it for the end, but let's do words. I'm curious now. Okay, this comes from the Merriam-Webster site. Oh, boy. Okay. So, okay, which came first? Big League, something or some group that is outstanding of its kind, or Bigly in a big manner? Ooh, big League or Bigly. Yes. Um, I'm going to go counter my intuition, go Bigly. Bigly? Yes. Uh, you are correct. Yes. I figured they were wanting me to say Big League. Because Big League sounds like something that's very modern and like Trumpish. <laughs> but it had to be earlier. So where is it from? It is from the beginning of the 15th century. Really? Big League began to be used in the late 19th century. Okay, I was going to say that's more of a baseball. Well, maybe. I would think it sounds like a baseball term, but I don't it know It could have been sure. with some sort of like um, when labor unions got going, maybe. Uh, too, but still, too. same period. Yep. All right. Saxophone, a single reed woodwind instrument, mm -hmm. or trombone, a brass instrument consisting of a long cylinder oh. metal tube with two turns and having a movable slider valves. So I know the trombone was relatively new to the orchestra, just because I had a friend who played trombone. Well, is that right? Anyways, but before the trombone was the sack butt. That's what it was called. Um, at least from my memory. All these facts could be completely wrong. But saxophone... I keep wanting to go against my gut because that's usually right. So I'm going to go against my gut again and say, no, mm, I don't know which way my gut's Which going. came first, Nick? Trombone. You are correct. All right. The word trombone has been in use since the early 18th century. The saxophone takes its name from the, its 19th century Belgian inventor, Antoine Sax. Okay. Okay, good. Two for two. Sounds like he was a real saxy guy. Yes. All right. Uh, which came first, deadbeat, a loafer, or scofflaw, a contemptuous law violator? Scofflaw. Deadbeat. You're correct. Yes. Nice. I would have guessed the other one, too. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm double-guessing myself on purpose here. <laughs> Scofflaw came into our language in 1924 as the winning entry in a contest. Deadbeat, in a loafer sense, dates to the 19th century. Okay. Uh, next. Impact, to fix firmly by or as if by packing or wedging. Okay. Or gift, to endow with some power, quality, or attribute. Really? Okay. Oh. Hmm, there's no way to connect these to anything. Impact or gift? I'm going to say gift. You're correct. All right. You are doing, you are like four for four here. I'm, nice. I'm impressed. Many people find the verb forms of gift and impact objectionable, but both have been used in this fashion for hundreds of years. The verb gift appears to be slightly older, circa 1550, than the verb impact, circa 1600. I wondered what oh. those two words have had in common. Okay, I'm like, okay, so they were the verb versions of now. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering why uh, 
what those two had in common, but there you go. All right. <laughs> which came first? Irregardless, which means regardless. Yes. Or regardless, which means despite everything. Irregardless. No, regardless uh, came first. Oh, I thought it was one of those like bait and switch things. No. Like no. how they say that uh, people complain about literally being used wrong, but like Dickens used literally in an unliteral way. And oh, stuff really? Like that. I've heard that. Who knows if it's Interesting. true. Interesting. Well, I think you overthought that one. Yep. Regardless is the older word, but irregardless has been around for quite a while as well, since at least 1795. Oh, that's older than I thought. There you go. Okay. Okay, we are halfway through this one. Okay, All right, which, it. which came first, atom or electron? I'm not going to give you the definitions unless you really want them. Atom as a T O M. Yes. Okay. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. Atom or electron? I'm going to see. Nope, I'm going to double guess myself again. Electron. Nope. Oh, I should just go with my gut. Okay. It was atom. Which atom is I... far older, with the early of its many senses beginning to be used in. English several hundred years before electron. Okay. Well, that, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Which came first, nationalist or patriot? Ooh, nationalist. Patriot. Ah. So you were wrong. Oh, man. You man, were, I you ruined were on a roll. And it was just half, like I was just guessing, which yeah. it was. But, uh, that's, that's unfortunate. Our records indicate patriot has been in use in print since the late 16th century, while nationalist does not appear until the beginning of the 18th. You know what? Actually, that makes sense because for a long time, there were a lot of places in Europe where the idea of a nation state was is mm. relatively new compared to land, yeah. you know, more Patriotism. tribal. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good yeah. point. Okay, which came first? Disparage or belittle? <laughs> disparage means to speak slightingly of. Belittle means to speak slightingly of. Oh, you mean exactly the same thing. <laughs> All right. According Belittle. to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Um, no. Ah. Disparage. Belittle is believed to have been coined by Thomas Jefferson in his 1785 Notes on Virginia. Oh, okay. Disparage had been around for several hundred years by that point. Okay. Jefferson, use words already exist. <laughs> Although, I don't know. Belittle, no, belittle makes more sense. It is, it's more clear uh, yeah. in some ways. Anyway, it's true. Which came first? Fascism? Or socialism? Ooh. Ooh. Socialism was, I don't know if it was invented, but made popular like Karl Marx, but when would fascism been? I'm going to go with socialism. You are correct. Yes. Good job. You, the, your bad streak has been broken. Socialism has been in use in English since the beginning of the 19th century. Fascism did not enter our language until the early 20th. Okay. All right. Misogyny or misandry? Mm. Misogyny is a hatred of women. Yep. Misandry, a hatred of men. Yes. Well, I'm going to just go with misogyny because that's, I'm going to try that and go with it. You are correct. You're right. Misogyny is older, at least the word is, dating to the mid 17th century. Misandry came about at the end of the 19th century. I'm going to say it's probably more likely with the people writing just because men had more power talking about hatred mm. of women than vice versa happening. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Computer. Or television? Computer. Are you sure about that? Yes. Okay. You are correct. The word computer is several hundred years older, wow, than the word it's, television. It's the one who computes. Yes, you're so, correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good job. All right. This is the last word. Oh, last one. Okay. Last okay. word question. Go to the vole or go commando? Go to the vole? Yes. Go to the vole means to risk all for great gains. Go commando means to wear no underwear. I'm gonna, just because I've never heard of it, I'm going to say go to the vault. 
yeah, you're right. This is a strange one to end on, I feel like. <laughs> we have no record of referring to not wearing underwear as going commando before the 1970s. <laughs> Thank Go- you, the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the Vol, which comes from the realm of card games, is older by well over a century. All right. So. Well, I did okay. Yes. The I, middle was a little rough. Yeah. I lost count there earlier on, but you... A little better than 50%, I think. Yeah, I think I think so. I'll have to keep better track of that in the future. Um, okay. Um, we got time for at least yeah. one more of these. Which one do you want? There's which TV show came first? Uh, which movie? In honor of our spinoff podcast, let's do movies. Here. Okay. That makes sense. All right. This one is from BuzzFeed, so this one might be a lot easier. Okay. Or a lot harder, or a lot harder depending on what kind of movies they're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Titanic or The Day After Tomorrow? I was alive for both those. Um, Which came out first? I'm going to say Titanic. You are correct. All right. It came out in 1997, whereas Day After Tomorrow was 2004. I'm gonna, I was thinking kind of late 90s and early. Okay, yeah, this so. is probably not your genre, but Clueless or American Pie? Clueless. I'm pretty certain. You are correct. That was 95. American, I've seen Clueless. American Pie was released in 1999. I have not seen either one. Uh, I had uh, Haley enjoyed Clueless quite a bit. Uh, it doesn't surprise me somehow. And then there's a TV show. All right. The Godfather and Goodfellas. Oh. Ooh. I'm going to say Goodfellas. Incorrect. Okay. The Godfather was released in 72, whereas Goodfellas was released in 1990. Oh, what's Go- Goodfellas? That, I guess I mm-hmm. don't know where it exists. I just know it exists. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you think about it, like Animaniacs had characters oh, that were, and it was true. relatively that fresh at that point. So I knew I knew Godfather was seventy. Then Goodfellas, I just figured exi- it's always just existed in my brain. I have no way to anchor it. I, I see. So, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> I love the whiplash of these uh, categories uh, or movies genres. Anyway, Mean Girls, okay, or Legally Blonde. Oh, drat! Natasha just watched Mean Girls recently for the first time i've never seen either of these either legally blonde i think i've seen you tell I, I don't prioritize modern comedies at all no um i'm gonna say le- legally blonde okay you are correct all right legally blonde released in 2001 mean girls 2004 oh those are close though yeah pretty close all right scream or a nightmare on elm street nightmare on elm street correct that came out in 84 whereas scream was 1996 yeah yeah Okay, The Jungle Book or Peter Pan? Ooh, I am not good at my early Disney orders. They just exist unhinged from history. I would consider these both mid-middle Disney orders, but... Well, honestly, anything before Aladdin. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. I just watched them. They just had videos, and I just... (laughs) They all existed as having always existed. Uh, And then Aladdin came... Oh, no, and then um, Little Mermaid came out. Okay. Um... (laughs) I'm going to say... You're probably, you're not the type of person to rewatch Disney movies much, I'm guessing. No, a ton, but even I did, I don't know why... Why you would pay attention to what... Not not when I used to watch them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Now, nowadays, I might notice. Yeah. I'm going to say Peter Pan. Correct. All right. Peter Pan was 1953, whereas The Jungle Book was 1967. Okay. Peter Pan just feels older. It does. I'm glad you got that. I would have been disappointed if you hadn't got it. All right. Next. Die Hard or The Terminator? Wait, Terminator. Terminator. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Uh, Terminator was 1984, whereas Die Hard was 1988. 
Oh, okay. Terminator Two was after that. Okay, after both of those. Well, obviously, but 90, I just, I that one was ninety one. I guess 92. my having grown up in my memory, Terminator had basically already always existed. <laughs> you know, because when you're young, yeah. like it either always existed or it's new. Like those middle schoolers, right? exactly. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> it. Really, is how so movies that or movies that I process largely in my teen or preteen years. That's how I think about them still, unless I've since. Put them in historical context. Yeah, thanks to certain podcasts like Let's Finally Watch this. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Boy, we, we are doing a great job of promoting this thing today. Uh, okay. For all the five of our listeners. <laughs> uh, next, Grease or Dirty Dancing? Oh, see, yeah, Grease I know of uh, decently. Dirty Dancing, don't, but I'm going to say Grease was earlier. Correct. Okay. 78 is when Grease came out. Dirty Dancing, 87. See, I was thinking Dirty Dancing was an 80s thing, and New Grease kind of always existed. So. All right. Finding Nemo or Monsters, Inc.? Monsters, Inc. Correct. Monsters, Inc. was like right after Bugs Life. Um, no. Wasn't it? it was, Monsters, Inc. was 2001. I think Toy Story 2 came out before, okay. in, in between those two. Okay. Anyway, Finding Nemo was 2003. So pretty close, but. See, if, I, if, I'm, if, I'm a lo- if it's like I'm a, about college or more, then I start keeping track when things happen. Sure, sure. Yeah. The Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy? Making sure I don't uh, these Marvel movies actually get kind of wonky sometimes, but I'm pretty sure it was Avengers first. Uh, you're correct. Okay, Avengers was 2012, Guardians was 2014. Yeah, I feel like they got Avengers, they're like, okay, now we gotta get to try some weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy was like, well, we can get away with anything now, yep. and they did, and they have, yeah. Home Alone or Matilda? Oh, those are both childhood movies. I'm gonna say Home Alone, correct. I came out in 1990. Matilda was 96. Okay. I did not really grow up with Matilda. My uh, my summer loves Matilda. Both Well, all rule doll in general, and then that movie as well. Mm, Okay. Space Jam or (laughs) Jurassic Park? Oh, drat. I don't, those are not even the same universe in my brain. (laughs) I remember. They're both 90s movies. Yeah. yeah, But like, oh, man. (laughs) I don't have any way to compare those two in my brain. So I'm just going to go with Jurassic Park just because. You're right. It's, yes. That was 93. Space Jam was 96. Okay. All right. I'm doing pretty good on this one. You you are. Actually. I'm impressed, actually. Like, <laughs> 10 years ago, I would not have done this one, I don't think. I think it was that you get older, you just kind of start understanding how things change or where they or exist. How, yeah, yeah. E.T. the Extraterrestrial or Ghostbusters? Oh, that's early, early life. <laughs> we talked about one of these not too long ago on the podcast, at least. I know, early. but I don't know where... And by the podcast, I mean our other podcast. Let's finally watch this. But I don't know where Ghostbusters sits with it. So I'm going to go with E.T. Correct. Okay. That was 82. Ghostbusters was 84. Ooh, real close then. Yep. Okay. Ooh, this would, this one I'd have a hard time with. The Breakfast Club or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, those are just existing like 80s movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just because I was talking about Breakfast Club with my mom recently, I'll say Breakfast Club. You're right. All right. That one was 85. Uh, Ferris Bueller was 86. Oh, those are close. Very close, yeah. Casablanca or Citizen Kane? Oh, mm, I wish I remembered the the dates on those. I know, like I could say they're both similar era-ish. I'm going to say Casablanca. You're wrong. Ah. Oh, you were doing so well. I was. But I don't think you've missed many. But anyway, Citizen Kane was released in 1941. Okay. Casablanca was 1942. Oh, okay. I, I don't feel too bad about that one. Yeah. Then. Okay, you should get this one. Star Wars or Blade Runner? Star Wars. Yep. You should know that because- Yeah, we just did that. Blade Runner is featured on uh, episode- Eight? 
eight? No, no seven. seven. Of yeah. Let's finally watch this. So you'll get to hear us talk about that in a few weeks. But anyway, Star Wars, of course, was released in 1977. <laughs> Every Star Wars fan knows that. <laughs> Blade Runner was released in 1982. You know, it's interesting because even early, because I love Star Wars, I knew they were released every three years. It's mm. all, yeah, it was 77, 80 when I was born, 83. Those dates are like burned in our heads. Yeah. Major Star Wars fan. Okay, this is the last one. Okay. Shrek or Stuart Little? <laughs> uh, I know those are strange. Okay, yeah, like different people grow up with different movies. Yeah. I've seen them both. Because I remember at least, I'm going to say Stuart Little. That came out first? Yeah. Correct. All right. That was 99. Shrek was released in 2001. All right. So nice job, no, Nick. I you think got, I only missed one, didn't I? You missed two. Two. What so was the other one? 15 out of 17. Uh, the other one was... Uh, that was the Goodfellas or Oh, the, yeah, that one. Was, yeah, which I was way, way off on. Why did you get the ones that were like a year apart and not the ones that were like decades? <laughs> no, that was that was very impressive. All right, cool. I feel I feel pretty good today. Like, yeah. I, not, not bad. Let's go ahead and do one more quiz, and just because I think this is an interesting one. Okay. Well, at least it runner. sounds interesting. This is called Book First or Movie First. So oh. some of these famous titles were books first, and some were films oh, first. Oh, okay. Try to guess which is which. Okay, let's do this. Okay, The Shining. That was a book first. Correct. Most Stephen King stuff was a book first. Shrek. That was a movie first. No. Uh, unless you're talking about the kids' book they say they based it on, I guess. Uh, that, apparently so. Yes. Oh, I think there was some lawsuit involving that, so I wasn't sure if it was legit or not. Okay. Mm, that's what okay. I was say. All right, Rocky. Ooh. Um, I'm going to say the movie. You're correct. Okay. Die Hard. I'm going to say that was... I've read them both. Uh, I'm going to say that was also a movie first. Movie first. No, it was book first. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Okay, that's clever. The Terminator. I'm going to say that was movie. Movie? Yep. You're right. I just feel like, uh, what's his name? Cameron. Cameron. He tends to do his own thing. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. The Princess Bride. That was a book first. That was a book first. The movie's better. The movie is better. (laughs) The Godfather. That was a book first. Mario Puzo. Good job. Yep, that's right. The Fog. The Fog. I'm not familiar with those. It's from 1980, apparently. Hmm. I'm going to say that was a book first. Uh, no, that was a movie first. Hmm. Uh, I've, I know nothing about it. Me neither. High School Musical. That could even be based on a book. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that's the movie first. Uh, you're correct. Like, okay. Yeah, that's a weird one. Casino Royale. Book first. Uh, you're right. Unless unless it was not, unless it just went off about the figure that was Ian Fleming. Yeah, so. no, you're right. Okay. You got seven out of ten of those. That's not bad. That's so. not bad. Uh, and I don't, I don't, the fog is whatever. So I'm going to say seven, uh, <laughs> six out of eight. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no, it'd be six out of nine. Uh, yes. Or seven out of nine. Yes. Well, that's all, I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, okay. Well, anyway. It was, that, was, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Someone knew the book. Some of them I did not. Yeah. Overall, I think you did pretty well there. Let's see. We are at 26 minutes. Do we want to do one more? Sure, unless you want me to do one for you. Sure. You know what? Let's do this. T- I haven't seen this. All right. Uh, we've. I'm now in the host chair. Uh, you get shocked every time you're wrong. Ah! Okay. This is uh, which TV show came first? So here you go, Tim. 15 right. questions. Hit me. Which came first, Andy Griffith or Leave it to Beaver? Ooh, uh, Leave it to Beaver. You are correct, 1957 right. versus 1960. Okay. So which came first, Tim, the Brady Bunch, or the Partridge family? Oh, man. Um, oh, my guess on this one. I will say the Brady Bunch. 
You are incorrect. Ah. Uh, Barry Bunch. Wait, what did you say? Brady Bunch? I said Brady Bunch. Oh, I clicked the wrong one. That's my fault. Oh. You were right. Oh, I'm right. By year. 1969 versus 1970. Oh, okay. So it was super close. Okay. I did not realize they were that close. All right. Wagon train or raw hide? Oh, good grief. (laughs) I've heard of raw hide. I'm not familiar with wagon train. Well, one of them came before the other. I'll say raw hide came first. Raw hide came first. Let's see. Uh, that was incorrect. Ah. Wagon Train debuted in 1957, Rawhide two years later. Okay. See, I was just going with hoping like the seminal one was the first one. So apparently they got influenced by Wagon Train and made a good one. Maybe. Or a seminal yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. All right. I Dream of Genie or Bewitched? Those. I don't know how you answered these. I'm glad I didn't do this one. <laughs> I will say Bewitched. Bewitched. You are correct. Yeah. 1964, the next year was I Dream of Genie. Yeah. I feel like there's more black and white episodes of Bewitched. And oh, okay. Plus, I Dream of Genie feels like they just increased the sex appeal of the <laughs> formula from the previous one. <laughs> no offense to whoever was the leading lady, but she wasn't dressed like Genie. <laughs> the leading lady of Bewitched. Right. The Odd Couple or the Bob Newhart Show? Uh... This is not an era of Nick at Night I paid much attention to. <laughs> Bob, wait, what? The Odd Couple or, or the Bob Newhart Show? Um, I don't know. We'll say The Odd Couple. Okay. That's what I would have said. You're correct. All right. It was 1970, and it was two years later for Bob Newhart. Okay. All right. The Incredible Hunk or Chips? You think that's a typo? Is it supposed to be The Incredible Hulk? I can't tell from the picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this guy... Looking at me, and then chips. Okay. Um, There's no green Hulk in the picture. Well, but I mean, it could be like non-Hulk Bruce yeah, Banner. Yeah, But I'd, I've never seen that. Um, I just say it's the Incredible Hulk, because that makes more sense. It does. As far as the answer, I'm going to say chips. All right. You're correct. Okay. Uh, 1977, and then, oh, <laughs> September 1977 was chips, and then in November... Was a Hulk. Okay, so I was right by two months. Apparently. Yes, if you got that one wrong, it doesn't count. I would okay. be, yeah, I would be annoyed. <laughs> okay, the Carol Burnett show or the Mary, Mary Tyler Moore show? I'm gonna say Carol Burnett. That's what I would have said, but you are correct. Yeah, that was a long three years show. before. I think that was on for like eleven seasons. So wow. All right, here's Lucy or the Lucy show. Oh, good grief! So two Lucy shows that came after I Love Lucy. Yes. I'm going to say The Lucy Show. The Lucy Show. Let's see here. You are correct. Awesome. 1962. Here's Lucy premiered in 1968. Okay. Gomer Pyle, UMSC, or Mayberry RFD? Oh, boy. <laughs> These are both spinoffs of The yes. Andy Griffith Show. Yes. I don't think I've watched ever watched either one. Um, oh, these are getting really, yeah. These are hard. I'm going to say, let's say Gomer Pyle. Okay, you are correct. All right. 1964 versus 1968. Okay, I feel like that one might have started even while Andy Griffith was still on the air, but I don't know. All right, the Beverly Hillbillies or Petticoat Junction? Hmm. Yeah, I would have, I'm glad you're doing this. I would not (laughs) have any clue on any of these. (laughs) And I'm a pop culture junkie, so yeah, that's why. I'll say Beverly Hillbillies. Let's see. 
You are correct again. 1962 versus 1963. Okay. There's a lot of influence going on in some of the... You can tell, like, oh, that worked. What's one the big inspired one? inspired the other. Yeah. I don't really know a lot about Petticoat Junction, to be honest. It's, just, it's one of those names I heard, but never exactly. actually watched yeah. as a kid. Exactly. Things that you just hear from your parents talking about. Or and you're like, man, that sounds dumb. Or, oh, that sounds neat. Exactly. So, <laughs> Lost in Space or Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea? Never heard of the second one. No, I haven't either. Um... This is like the the rawhide or yep. wagon train Which one thing. caused which one? Yeah. Let's say Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Okay, let's look. Correct. Oh, okay. 1964, the following year. Oh, same guy created both of them. Oh, okay. Erwin so, Allen. I was banking on like which one's going to be easier and which one faded into obscurity. Yeah. So. All right. Maud or the Jeffersons? <laughs> I don't think I know Maud. Heard of it. I think it's a spinoff of something else. Maybe it's a spinoff of Mary Tyler Moore. I don't remember. I wonder if my mom would know. <laughs> or, or if our moms would know. This yeah. is kind of their era. Yeah. Maud or the Jeffersons? Yeah. I'll say Maud. You are correct. Oh, okay. 1972. Jefferson's 1975. Okay. Okay. Batman, the original, or Star Trek? Oh. So That's Batman, that was like 66? Six, or oh, I don't know what year you would know, but yeah. I think it's 66, so that mean, makes me want to say Star Trek. Let's look. Nope. Oh. Uh, both came out in 66, but Batman beat Star Trek by eight months. Oh. That's just cheating. Yeah. Come on. Boo. That's, not, that's so little of a difference. Yeah. I mean, it should at least be a year. Like yeah. a whole... Yeah, anyways. Okay, Mannix or Hawaii Five O. I don't think I've ever heard of Mannix. <laughs> don't. How's that spelled? M-A-N-N-I-X. Mannix. Okay. Uh, I have absolutely no idea this one. I'll say Mannix. <laughs> Good. Okay. Oh, um, one with older is more obscure. <laughs> 1967, and then Hawaii Five-0 the next year. Okay. It does seem like these are ones that must have influenced, they're picking ones that influence each other somehow. Or, yeah. Love Boat or Fantasy Island? Mm. I've heard both of them, never seen either. Yeah, same here. The Plain Boss, that's all I know about Fantasy Island. <laughs> Fantasy Island, I know mostly because there was like a Looney Tunes spoof of it. Okay, this is the last question. Um, Drat. And these are all old school TV shows. I thought they didn't even get into. Yeah, they didn't get into like, anything past the, the 70s. Any 80s? They didn't even get into the 80s. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Love Boat. Love Boat. Let's see it. Nope. Ah. Oh, they both came in 1977. Oh. <laughs> Bay's Island in January and Love Boat in May. Come on, you should know that. Yeah, clearly. Here's your score. I'm going to add one to your score because... Um, How about two? Because there are two of those were from like the same year. Well, I'm adding the one I misclicked first. Oh, oh, I see. So you got 11 out of 15, so you got 12 out of 15 without the okay. ones with the month. So that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I feel I feel pleased with that. <laughs> well, anyway, those were fun. And it, again, it just shows you how much, even in these TV shows, ones that some things are influencing each other or... All stories exist within a cultural moment in one way or another. And when the moment gone, somebody's like, wait, Maud, what's that? Yeah. Mannix? What? Mannix? Mannix yeah. in the hand of fate? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you can enjoy a lot more of these uh, interesting looks at pop culture, specifically film culture, and a certain podcast. You may have heard us talk about it here or there, this episode. Uh, our new podcast called... Let's Finally Watch This. That's right. Which is... It's been a lot of fun to record. I think if you have any interest in in good old movies, 
it's worth listening to. Yeah, we really have made it with people who haven't seen these movies in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you a taste of each one. The first one is a German expressionist film from uh, 1922 called Nosferatu. I guess we should mention too that, that like if you listen to Hijack, it's not that. It's more structured, more history. And if you've listened to a Take on Tales, it's not as going to the weeds either. It really yeah. is a separate thing than you've heard before. Yes, that's that's a good point. Thank you for bringing that out. We really worked hard to make it feel unique from anything that we've done so far. And, and hopefully helpful. And hopefully helpful. So yeah, Nosferatu is uh, considered one of the first Dracula movies, essentially. So you'll get to hear us talk all about that and give you a, a flavor for it. We include a lot of sound bits from the movies, so you can get kind of a feel flavor. for uh, flavor. I guess the first two movies are, well, the test movie was a silent movie. Nosferatu is also silent. Uh, so you'll just get to hear some music. But you'll get to hear some flavor from the other movies later on. We got movies that, that feature the Marx Brothers. It's a very wide range. We purposely try to pick as many different genres and styles. Genres and filmmakers and, and actors. Orson Welles. Um, who else is in some of these? We got Gene Kelly. We got Peter O'Toole. Gene Hackman twice somehow. <laughs> Harrison Ford. Clint Eastwood. Just a lot of... A lot of uh, top tier filmmakers and again every single movie was, is a movie that at least one of us had not seen before yes so and m- most of them neither of us had seen that's true the vast majority of them and I have to say at least having almost finished recording it the vast majority of the movies I'm very happy to have watched yes so uh, check it out let's finally watch this and hope that you will be ready to finally listen to it yes uh, as it comes out on October 7th though to change the subject here we have some selenites those weird creatures or something had yeah do you have an umbrella or something maybe we can poke them off yeah defend defend ourselves yeah there seems to be a big hubbub down in the throne room so we're like up in a somewhere else in this we gotta get out of here we we probably better maybe just jump back to earth yeah maybe the podcast can uh cast us somewhere else yeah probably a good idea meanwhile before we do that remember folks you can subscribe to us at uh, apple Podcasts, stitcher and spotify um, all of our podcasts are available at deroldtrainsofthought.com. This podcast, Dear Old Trains of Thought, and let's finally watch this. And if you want to catch up on the Weekly Hijack or we've done Instant Reactions TV shows, those are there as well. Um, I will give you my soundtrack here. I picked a song from Pokemon Gold version. Uh, this remix is called Past Meets Present. And the remixer, uh, someone called Tikal, uh, said that Pokemon Gold was a very nostalgic game for him. So he decided to remix it in his style 15 years after originally playing the game. So hence the title, Past Meets Present. So it's a fun mix of chiptune and EDM and some electric guitar. It's a very fun remix, and I hope you enjoy it. But I guess that's all we got, Nick. Yes, that's all we got. So we'll um, make it like a treat and get out here, I guess. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. Adios, everyone. This has been Nick. And this is Tim. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.